What's it like, Ron? The intimate times? <laughs> Out of sight, my man. No. The other thing, love. Well, it's tough to explain. I think I was in love once. Really? What was her name? I don't remember. That's not a good start, but keep going. She was Brazilian or Chinese or something weird. I met her in the bathroom of a Kmart, and we made out for hours. And then we parted ways, never to see each other again. I'm pretty sure that's not love. Damn it. What's it all about? My aquatic jerk. My aquatic jerk. There's a moment from my childhood that I still remember because it was so mortifying. I was at a swimming pool, and I was lost in the wonder of the sight of the bathing-suited body of a friend of my seven years older sister. She snapped at me. Hey, are you staring at my boobs? Ah. It never occurred to me that girls could tell where I was looking. So I learned not to stare, to steal glances, to be civilized, or at least act civilized. Hypocrisy is probably too harsh a word to describe it. And certainly all human beings have a legitimate interest in being seen as more than piles of flesh. But of course we are all piles of flesh. We feel like we're more, like there's an eye in there that drives the body around, that thinks and has emotions. But it all emanates from this stuff that has evolved for millions of years. And all the stuff is gathered into societies with rituals and values that have also evolved. Rules about how the body should and shouldn't interact. And, of course, our understanding of how things work also evolves. We have only just figured out how to separate sex from baby making. Now we can do it for whatever reasons we want to. Now we don't have to be as careful about with whom we do it. We have the freedom to enjoy sex the way we enjoy food, as just a sensual pleasure. But most of us still carry around the feeling that it's more than that. Most of us still rebel against the idea of physical intimacy without emotional intimacy. Even most of the godless liberals among us <clears throat> feel like sex is special somehow. We hide our nudity. We protect it. We don't let anyone see or touch us but a select few. But if our bodies are just these shells, if it's truly what's inside that counts, why should it be such a big deal what we do with the outside? I'm Daniel Kaufman. Welcome to the Myoclonic Jerk podcast. Today we're going to talk about sex and what it means to us. Are we getting too loose or are we still too uptight? Do our ideas about romance and monogamy make any sense? We'll talk to two authors, Chester Brown and Tracy Kwan. One pays for sex and one has sold it. Ryan Ridley returns to share some of his feelings on the subject. 
And remember Susie McCoppin and Melissa Lefton from the beauty episode? We'll hear a little more from them on the subject of monogamy. We'll hear a story about a young woman's one-night stand, a new episode of Plane Crash Follies, the deconstruction of porn, and much more. Hands above the table, everybody. Boo, somehow, I don't know how it works, but it's some magic elixir where it makes you think that sex is not a dirty, filthy, shameful thing. Here's Norm MacDonald. And uh, in regular life, that's why sex is so tough to get going, because it's so shameful and filthy, and uh, obviously meant only for procreation. And so when you get... You know, and my friend was like, oh, there's nothing shameful about sex. But I was like, of course there is. Like, think about what you do before sex. You put the phone off the hook and everything like that. You make sure the kids aren't around, whatever, you know. You pull the blinds down, right? What's that? A shame? That's what blinds were made for. Pull down, shame. You don't pull the blinds down when you're making a nice uh, cherry pie for old Witta Hamilton. Huh? I notice they stay up for that. <laughs> Scientists say that a man thinks about sex once every 7.3 seconds. Now, of course, that's horseshit. <laughs> like, how could that possibly be, you know? You couldn't walk down the street, ah, cock, pussy, ass. <laughs> now you blow your fucking head off by the second thing. And also, I'm a man. I know what I think once every 7.3 seconds. I'll just be walking down the street. You know, and you're like, doodly-doo. Hey, there's a building. Doop-de-doop-dee. Hey, look at that. Guy wearing cowboy boots over there. How about that? <laughs> doodly-doo. wonder if I should wear cowboy boots. <laughs> nah, I'm too old for that. Oh, there's that building again. Hey, my ass is itchy over here. Scratch my ass out here in the street. Hey, Willie Nelson still wears cowboy boots. Billy Joe Shaver, too. Those fellas must be well on uh, three score and ten. Anyway, it's just a bunch of meaningless gibberish. That's my point. But it's not sex. The real amount of time that you think about sex, every once in a while, which is, scientists don't like that term. But every once in a while you think about it, and I think about it every couple of days, or if you're a younger man, you probably think about it more, you know what I mean? But then the problem becomes, when you think about it, is all you can think about. It just encompasses your whole brain. You know, you're just like, ah! Like a, like a fucking werewolf or something. Like, usually you're a civilized human being. But then every couple of days, you're like, ah! Uh, and then you gotta close the blinds, you know? And then... It was then that I got up to leave But she said, don't forget Everybody must give something back For something they get I've been enjoying Chester Brown's comics since the 1980s. In his work, which I highly recommend you check out, he has never shied away from human sexuality as a subject. His most recent book is called Paying For It, a cartoon memoir about being a John. I feel like it was brave of you. 
You know, you're being open about sexuality, which is something people are usually not very open about, even when they're not breaking a taboo. Well, being open about it was something I was already doing with my friends and close family. My sex life feels so big to me that being dishonest about it just didn't feel like a possibility. And it wasn't a matter of being brave. It was just how I wanted to live. Now, in the book, you describe your friends' reactions, and it seems to range from sort of disgust or discomfort. Has that evolved over time? Yeah. It was at least a surprise to my friends at the beginning, but they just got used to it. <laughs> they were able to recognize that I was still the same person I was before I became a John. Mm-hmm. I'm also for decriminalization of prostitution like you, but I have to admit if someone close to me, like my niece or a girlfriend did it, I'd feel bad about it. I'd feel sad and you know worried for them. I'm wondering how would you feel if Suk Yin became a prostitute? Well, a little footnote here. She and Chester dated for a long time, and they're very close friends. Would it still be totally fine with you? I don't think it would bother me at all. I would want her to do it in a sensible and safe way, but if that's what she wanted to do, I would say go for it. I mean, Sukin wouldn't need to do it. She makes way more money than I do. <laughs> but no, if one of my female friends was in a difficult situation financially and needed to make a significant amount of money in a relatively short period of time, I think it would be completely sensible. That's an interesting proviso, though. They have to be in a difficult situation financially to justify it? Well, let's face it. That's the big advantage of prostitution. They're doing it to make money. Mm -hmm. And it's a profession that pays very well compared to a lot of other things. But isn't that an inherently negative assessment of it? There are a lot of other careers. You could just say someone does it for the love of doing it. But this one, it's purely for the money. You don't really conceive of people enjoying it. But most people hate their jobs. Most people are doing their jobs just for the money. I'm one of the few fortunate people yeah. who's been able to carve a career that I wake up in the morning looking forward to writing and drawing. Right. But most people get up in the morning dreading going to work. And the only reason why they do it is because they're going to get paid for doing right. it. In the afterward, you say that prostitution shouldn't be taxed because sex is sacred. Mm-hmm. And I was very surprised at that moment because I felt like that reversed everything you were arguing throughout the book. I think the idea that sex is sacred informs many of the people who think prostitution is wrong. Mm-hmm. I mean, it seems like in other places you're arguing that sex is sex and it needn't be connected to love and we don't have to romanticize it. You know, certainly many of the encounters you describe in the book don't seem particularly sacred. They just seem like events, you know, not bad, but not necessarily holy or beautiful or... Well, I don't necessarily always go into my own thought processes, but a lot of those experiences with prostitutes, they were special moments in my life. Of course, not every sexual encounter is a religious experience, but sex often can feel like that, Mm -hmm. and it can feel like that even when you're paying for it. The minute you walked in the joint, I could see you were a man of distinction, a real big spender. We'll hear more from Chester in a bit. Right now, let's turn to Tracy Kwan. Tracy is the author of the Diary of a Manhattan Call Girl series of novels and was herself a high-priced call girl for many years before she became a full-time writer. After I spoke with Chester, I had a thought.
maybe because he's a John, he can imagine sex is sacred because it happens for him once in a day. Whereas for the sex worker who's having sex multiple times a day, you're going to have less illusions about it and it's just a job. Huh, well, I kind of like that, but I feel like what we're getting into now is religion, and that's just whatever you want to believe. Sure. <laughs> but I think you picked up on something kind of cute, which is that for the customer, sex very often does remain this lovely, romanticized, magic, explosive carnival of sensations, and often the very emotional response, whereas the person providing the service it's your trade. So you're seeing the backstage part of what it is to right. provide the magic. That's interesting, the magician analogy, because, yeah, you're creating some illusions, right? Yeah. But, you know, it's like going to a great restaurant and you keep having this good experience. And the chef has a very different experience of the meal than the person who eats the meal. Right. Or the guy who runs the front desk or the waiter's. Mm -hmm. Men are, I mean, this would be my guess, is that they're often going for more than sex and they're going for acceptance or mm. a lot of things that go beyond just physical sex. Different clients want different things. Some people really are there. It's almost like they're coming for a massage. They've got a physical need and that's why they're there. Mm -hmm. Many are also looking for suspense, an interaction that feels like seduction or some little mental drama being teased a little bit of that sense of the hunter and the hunted and all that, you know, a little bit of chasing around. And there are all these little things, and they're not necessarily that wild and crazy and kinky. People sometimes think that sex workers are doing all the things that non-professional women won't do. But often what's really going on is it's some odd little way of paying attention to the guy. Kiss my Say that you love me forevermore. I have this tension in me, and I think it exists in the world too. On one hand, I believe that sex for pleasure is totally fine, but on the other hand, I still have this romantic ideal that sex and love are intertwined, and when you kiss someone, that you're expressing loving feelings and. <laughs> well, uh, that was kind of a long rambling non-question. <laughs> no, 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 that's okay. Of course, very often, kissing is the thing prostitutes will not do. Mm -hmm. I remember a scene in the book where you're kissing a prostitute and you're thinking passionless kissing. <laughs> so you're feeling like something's missing here. We're kissing, but we're, yeah. we're not feeling what you expect to be. Although I did encounter a few prostitutes who were willing to kiss, mm -hmm. and some of them were really good at it and at least gave the impression that they were passionately kissing me. And in the case of that scene that you're talking about, uh -huh. yeah, she was apparently not able to fake it, and it felt like a very perfunctory kiss. I find it interesting that you use the phrase faking it because that seems to imply that even you feel like Sex is about love and passion and romance, that it's all intertwined. On some levels I do, and on others I don't. I mean, I grew up in this culture. The attitudes I grew up with that connect sex and love are still in me on some level. And sometimes what I say reflects that. I'm in love with you, Sue. I know I'm not the kind of man you expected to walk up your front walk and 
If I was your brother, I wouldn't choose me for you. Charlie, do you know how old I am? I care how old you are. I'm not a girl anymore. You're the handsomest woman I ever saw. I've had my disappointments, Charlie. Well, I'm not going to be one of them. I never thought I'd live as long as I have, Sue. I guess living the way I have never really mattered. But riding away thinking I was never going to see you again was maybe the most awful feeling I ever had in my life. I know I can be a good husband to you. And I know I ain't asked you proper, but I'm asking you now. Will you marry me, Sue? Charlie. Yes. I'll marry you. And can I kiss you? I'm gonna give you a thousand of these. This is a time when I was on the road as a comedian a lot, and I was having a lot of casual sex. And I saw this movie called Open Range with Kevin Costner and Annette Bening. And when they kissed, it was such a big thing. And I was just thinking about my own life and how many loveless encounters I'd been having. And I was struck by this idea that kissing and sex is about an expression of love, or it should be. And that to do it without love is kind of a lie. It didn't really change my behavior that much, but... Uh, I sort of had this moment of feeling that way mm. and this longing for being in a loving relationship and ending all these flings. I can relate to that. You kind of need those casual experiences to appreciate the love. I don't know if it was a lie, but if you felt that way, I'm not going to tell you, oh, you shouldn't have felt that way. Well, I just felt like a kiss means I love you and to do that with a stranger not a lie, but that it's just almost silly. You're expressing something that's not real. Well, I think a lot of people don't feel that way. A lot of people think that a kiss feels good and they're just going to do it. I also think that a kiss leads to love. I mean, it's a thing, right, that many sex workers don't kiss. Many sex workers don't. And is it for that reason? Actually, a lot of people don't kiss because you're really mm -hmm. exposing yourself to colds and stuff like that. But there are some very practical, almost bureaucratic concerns. There are some people you can kiss comfortably. There are some people you can have sex with that you would rather not kiss. If you are in the business, you tend to develop an MO. If you have to decide every single time you see a client, am I going to kiss this person or not? What do I have to do to make him kissable? Etc. Etc. It's just a lot of mental work. So if you have an idea, well, I don't kiss, and I have these moves that I make when somebody tries to kiss me. Can you tell me one? Well, there's a flirtatious way of pulling away and doing something else. Instead of mm -hmm. kissing him on the mouth, you kiss his ear or his right. neck, you know, something like that. But learning how to do that gracefully. You really don't want to be one of these people who says, I don't kiss. That's just so... <laughs> just kind of kills the mood a little. There are girls who right. say it. But you just don't think that's very artful. Well, for them it works because they're doing a little bit of a tough chick routine that sometimes okay. guys like that. So it depends on your style. But if you're doing this kind of nice girl thing... Is that your style? Of course. I'm a nice girl. I just happen to do this. Then you have mm -hmm. to be very graceful about those transitions. 
So we kind of got sidetracked on the kissing thing, but did you have any more to say about this idea of what sex is for or not for? Well, I'll just say that people outside the business too often make amazing generalizations about sex that are pretty much just based on how they feel. And they assume that everyone will feel the same way. And one thing you learn quickly in the business is it ain't so. Everyone feels different. And you have to deal with that. I hope you don't think what I was telling you, that was a personal feeling. That wasn't me trying to impose my values on anyone else. No, I I wasn't saying that. I actually like that you feel this way about kissing. Why do you say that? A lot of guys would kiss anyone. They're like, oh, kissing feels good. I mean, why do you think guys are always trying to kiss hookers? They just think it's part of sex. But I feel kind of reserved about kissing. Well, you know, it's interesting that you think guys do it just because it feels good. Because I think when you're aroused in in the process, you sort of get confused about your feelings. And I've definitely been in situations where I'm with someone I barely know. And I want to say, like, I want to marry you or I love you or something crazy. Really? You're like a girl. (laughs) <laughs> I'm like a girl. If you're looking at gender stereotypes, and I'm not saying that to be insane. No, I don't mind. <laughs> and, you know, you have girls who are more like guys. And by the way, a lot of those girls become sex workers. They have the capacity to have a much more impersonal sex. I did not, when I was with clients, feel tempted to say I love you, even if I was having good sex with them. There are women who would have a lot of difficulty with that kind of detachment, But I think one way in where it is stereotypically male Mm -hmm. is that's all pre-orgasm feelings, and then that all dissipates pretty quickly. Uh Uh-huh. Oh, look, people are mysteries, and having had thousands of sexual encounters, it's still a mysterious thing to me. Maybe I'm doing it wrong. Maybe I'm doing it wrong. Just don't move. I'm not very good at sex. Here's Nick Kroll. And I'll tell you why, because I think too much. I think the people who have the best sex of all are dumb people. Because they don't have sex, they just straight up screw. It's just like, put me in you. That experience I had where I was feeling bad about my promiscuity, part of my concern was that I felt like I was getting burnt out and losing my excitement about sex and that the experience was being degraded so that even if I get to the point of having loving sex, it would be diminished because of all the unloving sex I had. That happens to people who have a lot of sex. Do you remember the movie Big, the Tom Hanks movie? Yes. This is a scene where he's having sex for the first time with Elizabeth Perkins, mm-hmm. and she unbuttons her shirt, and he's looking at her, and she reaches up and flicks the light off, and he reaches and flicks the light back on. Right. He's like 10 years old. Right. And I sort of mourn that 10-year-old of me who's, after a while, you see so much, it's, uh-huh. it's going to be less exciting. Oh, the death of innocence. So do you feel like you killed that 10-year-old boy by overdoing it? Is that it? No, I didn't kill him. But I mean, he's tired. <laughs> wow. 
I just don't have that same level of, oh my God, I still have it. But that's why I tried to take a step back from that life. Mm-hmm. I mean, you wrote this great piece. You described one Valentine's Day, how you booked as many clients as you could during the day so you could have your evening with the boyfriend. And I read that and I thought, wouldn't you, wouldn't you just be tired? That was never a problem for me. You never got just worn out like, oh, not another penis. No. If I love a guy, I'm not going to feel that way about him. There's such a contrast between romantic sex and business sex for me. But I mean, on some level, mechanically, there's a lot of similarities, right? Well, yeah, I guess that's logically true. But that's not how I experience sex or romance. I mean, I am a very romantic person. I mean, I love creme brulee, but after I've eaten creme brulee, I don't want any more for a while. It doesn't mean I don't love it. But if sex work is creme brulee, then romantic sex is fresh strawberries. Aha, okay. (laughs) I would be play acting a lot at work, being somebody different from the person that I am in my romantic life. So it's not about did you do the same mechanical things? It's something very different. And I'm speaking about this as a woman. And women are, as you may have noticed, complex and slightly perverse creatures. Well, so are men. Well, I don't know. You think we're simpler? I do. I have a funny feeling that what you're saying about the mechanics and so forth might be something that a male prostitute would relate to. Mm -hmm. But I think for women, sex is highly emotional and interior. Do you think work sex would diminish your appetite for just casual sex? The reality is I have not had a lot of casual sex outside of the business. I tried to as a kid, but it didn't really take off. And I mostly have had pretty long relationships. I could see you getting to a point where when it's your job, you're like, well, if I'm going to have casual sex, I could be making money having casual sex. So it's it's almost like a waste. And also there's just a certain amount of energy that we have for casual sex. So if you're having it every day at work, yeah, you don't really need it. Also, I think that casual sex is very problematic for women. How so? We have a lot of feelings about whether we're respected. And I think there's a lot of bravado, you know, and I see stuff on the early blogs about it. I think it's still not the easiest thing in the world for a woman to have casual sex, and I think that you can really get your feelings hurt. Some feminists won't like this, but yeah, I think it's more of a guy's thing. And I think there is a reason why there are many more men paying for casual sex and many more women getting paid. I'm not saying women don't ever want to have casual sex, but when women become sex workers, there's something more than economics at play. There's some emotional needs being met, too. Something maybe that needs to be worked out or experienced or learned. When there's money and reward and structure and the man is having to make an appointment with us and show us a kind of respect, we can enjoy casual sex. But I don't think it's necessarily feasible to just go around doing that in an unstructured way outside of the sex industry. It can, That's so interesting. It can be done. I mean, gay men do it all the time. They pick each other up on the street. My gay friends are always doing this. But come on, in heterosexual social life, it's not the most feasible thing. And a lot of guys don't treat women well when they have casual sex with them. Right. Or they're mean afterwards. Like we were not even mean, just not as nice. It's not anything negative, but just all that wooing activity goes away. Right. Because they got what they wanted. I got glimpses of that this might be how things are out there and shied away from it. 
I felt that prostitution was in many ways a very kind, gentle, structured, civilized way of relating. So many people think of prostitution as this degrading experience where the prostitute is abused in a way, and you're describing just the opposite. This is a way of protecting yourself. There's something that goes on in the pornographic collective consciousness or whatever we want to call it, where lots of people fantasize about sex being a hierarchical degrading experience. And that's what very often gets projected in the rhetoric of anti-prostitution people, whether they're coming at it from a religious angle or a feminist angle. It's a kind of dirty fairy tale that works for people, but it's not how the actual business works. The business, it's like anything else. It's got its good days and bad days. There are clients who are bossy. There are clients who are submissive. There are clients who are just neutral. There are clients who need to be guided. There are clients who need to be kept in their place. So everything happens in prostitution, whereas in those sex fantasies, pretty much only one thing happens. <laughs> <laughs> I think the idea is when you have that traditional romantic idea that sex is part of a loving thing and when a sex worker gives that away and gets no love back, she has been degraded. Sex should only be for love. Right. But I mean, does anybody really think that in this day and age? I think a lot of people think that. I think maybe even you think it sometimes. Not that sex should only be for love, but that they're very intertwined. Yeah, but you can be a romantic and understand that there are different kinds of sex and that you just happen to prefer this. I think it's also maybe rooted in gender roles, just like you were saying before. This idea of men are able to have sex without emotion, but women aren't. Okay. So if a woman's having sex and the guy's not giving her love, then she's just been degraded. But here's the mundane reality. You are a sex worker. This is your job. Mm -hmm. And very often there's this messy situation where the customer falls in love with you. It happens to dancers. It happens to street girls. It happens to escorts. I feel like this connects to the idea that the sex worker is creating an illusion for the guy. Of course. And there's a lot of buddy sex in the industry. And the buddy client may be fond of you, but he recognizes that you have a life and he likes hearing about it. And it can be rather sweet to have somebody like that uh -huh. in your stable of clients. So with him, you're not working on the illusion as much. Right. You're not pretending. You're not pretending you're his girlfriend for an hour. Or whatever. Right. Is that what the illusion is? Well, there are certain clients. You just know that you can't mention any of that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm imagining myself and I would think I wouldn't want to hear that. That would be a turnoff. I want to be the only guy on your mind. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, that's what I think. But that's because you, my dear, are a rather more delicate person. <laughs> can't decide if that's a compliment. It's just a fact. Some people have more delicate sensibilities than others. I certainly have delicate sensibilities. So if you have that dynamic mm -hmm. where you can say, oh, I went to the movies with my boyfriend the other day, then the client may also not feel that he's cheating on his primary part. Uh, what about mentioning other clients? No, Did... you never do that. Okay. Nobody wants that. Oh, you know, you have no other clients. <laughs> Even the ones who don't mind hearing about a boyfriend, they don't want to hear about. Exactly. Why do you think that is? It's a good question. Thank you. I think... <laughs> <laughs> who knows? People are not entirely rational about sex. They're certainly not what? entirely rational about commercial sex. <laughs> yeah. Right. 
I think it has to do with their image of who you are. And maybe part of the illusion is that you're not a sex worker, that you're there because you want to be there. Yeah, but there are people who will be visiting a call girl and they'll make reference to prostitutes. And they actually mean somebody other than you. <laughs> the spark in your eyes sets my soul on fire. Your voice is like a angel above. The touch of your hand, woman, drives me insane. But baby, I want to be loved. I fucked my second guy in two weeks. He invited me over to watch a movie. That's nine since I moved to New York four months ago. All nice guys, almost all. Not interested in anything serious or not with me. That's fine. I don't want to be tied down right now anyway. I just got here. He said he liked my personality. He seemed like he meant it, except during the movie, he didn't seem to want to talk. At least he didn't shush me. I've had a couple guys shush me during movies. Maybe I shouldn't talk so much, but that's a big turnoff to get shushed. I don't talk if it's serious, but sometimes there's just something dumb I want to make fun of. What's the big deal? We're on a couch, not in a theater. He waited until the movie was over to start making out, which didn't make me feel great. The sex was just okay. It was actually pretty decent, but over sooner than I would have liked. I didn't come. He offered to get me off after, but I said, maybe later. I never think a guy means it when he asks that. If you want to do it, you do it. You don't offer. I was hoping we'd go again, but he fell asleep. I should date younger guys. He woke up a little later. I was stroking his back. We cuddled a little, which was nice. Then he kissed my back and got out of bed and started getting dressed. I said, I was thinking I might sleep over. He said, it takes me a while to get used to sleeping with someone else and I don't want tomorrow to be shot. What the fuck? You were already asleep. I got dressed, he walked me to my car, and we kissed goodnight. Why do I care? I don't want anything serious either. I just wanted to sleep over. There was a prostitute named Anne, and sometimes after you saw her, you would have an empty feeling. Yes. And I wonder what was the cause of that. I was never certain what the cause was either. I mean, I saw Anne regularly over the course of about a year, and I really liked her as a person, and I enjoyed the sex. But there was a kind of an empty feeling after being with her. I'm guessing that it was because I wanted a deeper relationship and I don't feel that hollowness with Denise. After I'm with Denise, I feel satisfied. And I should also add, I never felt that emptiness after I was with other prostitutes either, perhaps because I didn't see them as long as I saw Anne. So it never got to the point where I was yearning for something deeper. 
It's interesting. If it's just mechanical sex, it's fine. But then sometimes if it gets a little closer to something where you're like, wait, there should be a connection here. That's when it feels weird. Right. My last line in the book is paying for sex does not have to be an empty experience as long as you're paying the right person. It could be after sex, there's this human need to cuddle and... I have heard that men don't like to cuddle. I don't know. It's not what I've experienced. I disagree. I think a lot of guys like to be a little affectionate. affectionate yeah. Yeah. I mean, they might not want to talk for hours <laughs> to fall asleep, but they like to fall asleep kind of holding your hand or something. <laughs> so he might have this need for some connection after the sex like that. And because he's paying for it and is not paying thousands of dollars to fall asleep with someone... He might have needs that are not met by that encounter. He had pretty brief commercial encounters. Right. Or let me, I had two theories about that empty feeling, and I'll run them by you and you tell me what you okay. think. Okay. And it sort of overlaps with what you said. One is that sex highlights whatever's there emotionally. So if there's love there, then sex highlights that. And if there's no love there, then sex highlights that absence. And the other theory is that the physical need is the top need. And once that's satisfied you're left with other deeper needs beneath that that you can now become aware of. Yes, I agree. And like you said, that need for connection, which he's not getting. And, and it's in a context where you often think of it as being connected. So once it's over, you're like, oh, wait, I, I got the sex, but I didn't get that other thing. Yeah, no, sometimes you have to be quite diplomatic about the moves that are made when the session is over. I mean, sex can arouse this desire for connection in the male customer. Mm -hmm a little bit in the neighborhood of what you were talking about. And some customers say things like, oh, don't get up yet. Sometimes they get a little vulnerable at that moment. Can you recall how you navigated it? Well, I would meet the person halfway, not be too abrupt, not going completely into the we're going to connect now thing, because you do have to keep it on a common sense level. It may even be as simple as the session lasts an hour and maybe if you were to just hang out there and hold the guy's hand, he would be ready in an hour and a half. Maybe he would even start to feel a little smothered. <laughs> <laughs> but it can be a delicate moment. Also, it's okay for the customer to feel that something didn't quite happen. They can come back and see if it will happen again. Mm -hmm. Chester may have felt this way leaving the building, but did he go back the next week? Yeah. Right? So it's not necessarily a bad thing. It could be like appetite and food. But it's important to be tactful about people's feelings at that moment and not quite as bouncy and businesslike as you might be feeling because you have a customer coming over in 45 minutes. <laughs> right. Well, that's the stereotype. And maybe that's something that's more blatant on the lower end of the pay scale, <laughs> the old looking at your watch over the guy's shoulder kind of thing. By the way, Chester's unmarried. That's true. Customers who are married, I don't think they have that empty feeling when they're leaving you. They have too many moves to make. <laughs> Customers who are married, among the girls I knew, they were preferred because they are usually eager to be on their way. When I think about it now, some of those moments when you had to be more diplomatic about somebody's feelings, those were generally single customers. That's so interesting. They're more needy coming to you. They need more than just the fling. They also have more time on their hands, and they don't necessarily have to hide what they're doing. And so they have this freedom to explore the slightly inappropriate 
emotion of wanting to connect with you right. after sex. The married customer is part of the system. Right. <laughs> I love when the stereotypes are turned over, you know, because the stereotype about prostitution is that the woman is exploited and the man is this victimizer. And, and now we're sort of describing the situation where the guy is very fragile and you're taking care of him. And don't forget, sometimes men are pushing for things that they might not know what to do with once they got it. So it's just as well that they're not getting it. They uh -huh. might be playing a game in their head, pushing for this romance, but it's safe. So sometimes they'll flirt with the idea yeah. of taking it up to another level, but they really don't want that. There are a fair number of guys like that. read your article about Pretty Woman and how you liked that, and that was so surprising to me because I always thought that would be something an actual sex worker would think is ridiculous. It was a very popular movie among sex workers. What do you think the attraction is? There are customers who fall in love with you, and there are customers that you think, wouldn't it be great if you fell in love with me? They're not generally the same person. You know, there's a customer uh -huh. that falls in love with you, and he's kind of neurotic, he's kind of obsessed, he's kind of a nuisance. He's generous, but he wants to control your life, things like mm -hmm. that. And this is such a common thing. You know, there's a client who's really sweet on you, and you think, I need to go for this. <laughs> and you think going in, if you have a sugar daddy and you're not in love with him, you're not vulnerable. You think this is going to be great because you're going to be in control of everything. But what you find out is that it's so hard to be around someone who's in love with you when you're not in love with him. Well, you're constantly rejecting him, right? Well... I mean, you have to be subtle about it, but that's essentially what's happening. I guess you're right. It's like there's something under your skin that doesn't feel right. Well, actually, it's easy to be with someone who loves you more than you love them, as long as you love him. Right. <laughs> you frequently meet customers who you think... If I met him in another context, maybe I would develop romantic feelings for him. But you just won't allow that to happen? or I mean, have you ever had a client who crossed over? Yeah, I was in love with a client. He stayed a client. He did not become a boyfriend. He was very happily married. You talk about how you have a lot of walls and restrictions with a typical client. Did you sort of relax those with him because you loved him? No. I kept the love and the sex separate. So even though you loved him and were having sex with him, yep. you never made love with him? No. I didn't even know I was that weird. <laughs> <laughs> you mean the fact that you're able to do that? Yeah. Or? Once he said, if we'd met each other in some other way, if we'd both been single, we would have had a relationship. Mm -hmm. So we would have had so much fun. I thought it was really sweet that he said that, but then it was a part of me that thought, gee, I don't know. I mean, he was experiencing some of the illusion. But I must tell you, there were times when I had the wish. But you were never tempted to change the relationship? Well, I wasn't in any position to. I mean, he was happily married. And I was with somebody. I was having a pretty big relationship at the time. I guess you have to just have a lot of boyfriends who are not possessive. Oh, or who don't know everything that's going on. <laughs> <laughs> really? You're able to hide that part of your life? Yeah, sometimes. What would be your cover story? Well, I think I'm going to keep that one to myself. <laughs> In case you need to use it again. Yeah. I also had boyfriends who knew when that was happening, certainly nobody ever felt complacent.
Here's Kane Collier. I don't like pornography because it's so objectified and everything's like an it. I'm not a person anymore. I want to shoot a short video where it's just a guy in like a butcher's outfit with two big pieces of raw steak and he's just slapping them together like that and I just dub the audio of any porn out there. <laughs> I'm just a caveman. My primitive mind can't grasp these concepts. A caveman in a suit is a good portrait of the modern male. We have a lot of uncivilized impulses that it's our job to keep in check. Once in a while, we get our courage up and lumber towards a woman to make our clumsy advances, and usually, we are told to get lost. Now, of course, women are the true victims in this scenario, beset as they are by all these grunting lunks. But can we just take a moment to pity the poor, slobbering men? Our daily diet alternates between repression and rejection. And this is where porn comes in. Yes, porn is giving men release, but that's not its only function. The fantasy of porn is women who say yes. Wherever you go in porno land, you'll meet them. Doesn't matter who. Rich society ladies, doctors, the first woman president of the United States, they will all say yes. This is why there's so much pairing of high-status women and low-status men in porn. The pizza boy, the plumber, the handyman. We want situations where sex seems completely implausible because that's how we feel most of the time. Give us a buttoned-up woman in a suit, her hair in a bun, thick glasses. Oh, she looks like the type would say no. She's stuck up. She's an egghead, a librarian, a nuclear physicist. She's a highly respected corporate executive. In a million years, she would never say yes to the mailboy. <gasps> she said yes! We all have wants. Ask someone out, apply for a job, submit a manuscript, play the lottery. And when the universe says no, it can be painful. It can feel like mommy saying no dessert. But a yes is just the opposite. A yes feels like love. So even when we have loveless sex or fantasize about it, we get a feeling of being loved. We have gotten a prize, a gift. We are, for a moment, happy children. Favorite. That is one of my big fears in life, that I'm going to die, and my parents are going to have to come clean out my apartment. Here's Bill Hicks. Find that porno wing I've been adding on to for years. There'll be two funerals that day. You'll see my mom going through my stuff. Look, honey, here's Bill when he was a Cub Scout. Look how cute my baby is. His little short pants and his little hat. Look how cute my baby was. I wonder what's in this box over here. Keep on churning till the butter comes. Keep on churning till the butter comes. Keep on pumping, make the butter flow. Wipe off the paddle and churn some more. Ryan's back, everybody. Listen, I know I want to break into this topic. Sex. There's a girl who had a thing for me in high school, and my friend said, Come on, man. 
fucker. I was like, I'm not attracted to her. And he goes, come on, pussy ain't got no face. And that to me is one of the crudest, because not only is that not true. Well, uh, it's true in a sense. Just like that. I had the same guy who said, my dick is blind. Yeah. I was going to say something like, but my penis isn't seeing the vagina anyway. My head is seeing the other. (laughs) Never mind. But that's what Dr. Ruth always said, that the most powerful sex organ is between the ears. Yeah. I can't be attracted to someone unless I connect with them. I was thinking about the Venn diagram, you know, there's the circle of love and the circle of sex, and we all want that overlapping section. You know, right now, the girl I'm dating, who I'm gushing about to everybody, I I don't know if I could call it love in one circle, but I could definitely call it sex in the other circle. Well, of course, you're having sex because you're doing the act. Mm -hmm. You're putting it in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Taking it out. But do I love her? Putting it back in. Yeah. Taking it out. Yeah. Back in again. And then... Pulling it out and blowing loads Come all on, over. Come on, I've got an NPR audience. <laughs> so anyway. Sorry, folks. G- g- Sorry, old lady in Poughkeepsie. <laughs> Just dropped her teacup. Uh, I'm coming for you. Oh, my goodness. So, my fetish is dropping teacups. <laughs> I just have old women drop teacups while I them. masturbate. <laughs> you start it's masturbating, chicken, yeah. they get shocked, and yeah, then exactly. you finish. I know the difference when they're just letting gravity do the work. I just got, oh, I dropped a teacup. My dick doesn't get as hard. I need Come to on, make- Ryan. <laughs> He's feeling my discomfort. I'm trying okay, to run a highbrow sorry. sex conversation. Not a bunch okay. of cock and balls hey, jokes. Here's an interesting thing. You learn about sex from movies before you have sex. Okay. And I guess I always thought making love had to do with looking in the person's eyes and feeling that connection. <laughs> You just had to make eye contact. But actually feel something, too. It right. can't just, I'm guessing high percentage of one-inch scenes don't have a lot of meaningful eye contact. Look at me. Yeah. Uh, I just met you All in right, bar. Easy. You're hammered on Long Island iced teas, <laughs> and I could see your soul. But women like closing their eyes. I think even more so for lovemaking. Really? So, yeah. Would you just pry their eyes open like clockwork orange so you could have the intimacy? <laughs> <laughs> Give it to me. That's where love and sex overlap in my mind. Eye contact. contact. Yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Here's something that's interesting. Prostitution. You're just paying for fucking. But what if you could pay to make love? Huh. Well, that's the girlfriend experience. What is that about, the girlfriend experience? Well, it's that you don't feel like you're having commercial sex with somebody who just wants your money. Because they're sweet to you. As opposed to like a As opposed to somebody who's just like, all right. You want a party? Do what you want. I'll give you the girlfriend experience. (laughs) (laughs) On a street corner? Yeah. It's not going to feel. In other words, you go to their apartment. I don't think it's so much about where it is. It's about how she treats you. Well, to my point, if it's in a dock, you're not going to feel like it's... But uh, I don't know, you're focused on the location. Uh-huh. Well, I think it's more think... just about the attitude uh, and the things she says and, uh-huh. how, you know, I don't like that I'm being cast in the role as the expert on <laughs> how it is. At the Contact. dock. Yeah, the dock. <laughs> Who's having sex or at the, the dock? Sailors. and there's ships. Sailors. I think they go to a hotel or something. <laughs> they don't just, like, get off Sometimes their boat and, like, there's the girls. Yeah. With, like, I've got ten minutes. <laughs> And then I'm you going. can either get a sandwich or have sex with that girl who's lying on the dock there. And then we're fueling up and back out to the high seas. Back to jack it off for nine uh, months in the latrine. And then just, yeah, yeah, the cartoon version of the sailor is panning from hot dog. Want a party? Hot dogs. <laughs> Want a party? Well, that's not really a dilemma, right? <laughs> the sailor's been at sea for six months. He really wants a hot dog. <laughs> All I've eaten are oranges. <laughs> uh. They're a little overzealous about the scurvy. <laughs> what about this? It's wartime. He gets off the dock for 10 minutes. He's got a choice between sex 
and some opportunity to be assured that the odds of him dying in battle will be decreased. <laughs> How about could he have sex or kill Hitler? <laughs> sex or body armor? A uh, young 18-year-old soldier, he's probably going to still have the sex. Yeah. You feel it, invincible, and you really like sex at that age. But a 40-year-old lieutenant? Uh, I'm taking the body armor. <laughs> yeah. Look, if I live, I can have a lot more sex in the future. All right, well, what about if you could just pay a woman to love you? You already said that. No, no, no. No sex, though. That's her rule. Oh, what, well, what let's that see. would look like? Ding dong. Sex. Hello. I'm your love, John. Here's $1,000. Well, here's what you get. Okay. First of all, obviously, no sex. What? No blowjobs. No hand jobs. Well, you could just say no sex. Yeah, you get no the picture. No orgasms. But I will kiss you on the cheek, on the forehead, <laughs> on the lips, no tongue. Cuddling? Of course. In uh, fact, that's my specialty. So what will we do? I'll go to a movie with you, and I'll nuzzle on your shoulder. I'll yeah. hold your hand. Uh, You'll just give me all the scared. sort of physical manifestations of being in love? Well, I'll also, when you're sick, I'll come over and I'll take care of you. I'll make you chicken soup. This is a long-term contract, not like the 60 minutes. It's a thing. monthly. You could sign it's up for re recurring payments. Of love? Yeah. <laughs> oh, so if I'm nervous about a big interview, you'll tell me I'm great? I'll talk you off the ledge, uh-huh. Or if you suffer a tragedy, I'll be the shoulder to cry on. If I have a victory, you'll be super happy for me? Absolutely. And with the Platinum Package, which is an extra $50 a month... I will come to you when I have difficulties. Because, Ooh. I mean, real love is symbiotic. Huh. I mean, are you really going to believe it's real love if it's always you coming to me and never me coming to you? Yeah, but I am paying. Well, you wait, really but... want the true experience of being in love. But then, shouldn't you also pay me if it's a two-way street? Listen, Joker. <laughs> oh, here's the deal also. Okay. I'll go to bed with you at night, Yeah. but then I leave, but I'll be back in the morning to cook breakfast. Well, why will you leave? What if I have a nightmare? I got stuff to do. I got other clients to see. You're going to just jump out of bed with me and then go nuzzle somebody else for two hours, then not make them breakfast? I have concentric circles of clients who sleep shorter and shorter hours. <laughs> it's like a hard There's thing one to... guy in the middle sleeps for 10 minutes a night, <laughs> so it's pretty so you're easy. you're just making a lot of breakfast. Yeah. When do you sleep? <laughs> I catch some Zs in between. I, yeah. I want to talk to you about how I'm nervous about my job interview. I don't want you nodding off like you don't care. <laughs> Hey, sweetie, you don't worry about that. Okay. Yeah, here's your money. <laughs> what do we do now? I hug you. But you're not really loving me. I really love you. I don't believe you. I love you with all my heart to the ends of the earth. <laughs> I would do anything for you. I will die for you for an extra $75 a month. <laughs> you're just saying those words. This is not real love. Real you know love. I don't want your damn money. Tell me it's not real love. How oh, about that? Okay, great. Well, now you're not a love prostitute. You just love me. Okay. <laughs> I mean, you're really going to pay me, though. Oh, yeah. Okay. I'll pay. <laughs> Just steal it when I'm asleep. Yeah. Okay. I'll siphon it off your bank account. You won't even know it's being taken. Well, if we're in love, I guess I can trust you with my PIN number. Perfect. I'm kind of turned on. Well, go see a whore. <laughs> Get that erection away from me. Hi, Uncle Marty. Danny boy. What are we talking about this time? Sex. Ooh. Yeah. 
Helen, I'm being called for my wisdom on sex. Why are you laughing? <laughs> no, it's not a wrong number. <laughs> sex, huh? Trying to get the ratings up. Well, I thought it'd be a fun subject after the animal show because that was so heavy. Well, in fact, it's another animal show. Right, but humans have all these ideals around sex that keep us from saying yes to each other. Give me a for instance. Uh, like sex should only happen between people who love each other. And what do you think about that? Part of me believes it and part of me doesn't. Which part doesn't? <laughs> well, I, mean, I, uh... I have an idea which part. No, but maybe we're making too much fuss about something that's just natural. Isn't that the opposite of what you said in the animal show? There you said, who cares what's natural? Well, I don't think it's a good rationale for hurting others, but I do think it matters when you're trying to figure out how to be happy. And you think the way to be happy is to follow your instincts? Well, I don't think the way to be happy is to suppress them. How about channel? How do you mean? Uh, say you meet a girl. Okay. Take her out to dinner. Mm -hmm. You feel a physical attraction for one another. I like this story. All right, stay calm. Okay. Do you sweep the plates off the table and take her right there in the restaurant? Mm, how fancy a restaurant? <laughs> Stick with me. Okay, no, no. We don't. Why not? We're in public. It's illegal. All right, so you don't act on your sexual desires in that moment because you have other desires in conflict. Yeah, but that doesn't mean we won't act on them. All right, but in that moment, you say no to yourselves. We say not now. Fine. You finish your meal. You take her home. Do you have sex now? <laughs> I feel weird talking to you about this stuff. Hey, you called me. Well, the answer is maybe we do. Oh, well, let me recover from the shock. <laughs> maybe you do. So maybe you don't. Yeah, sure. If you don't, why don't you? Well, probably because she doesn't want to. Uh, why do you think she doesn't want to? Assuming she's attracted to me? Of course she's attracted to you. <laughs> well, all right, well, then she probably wants to get to know me better. Have an emotional connection along with the physical. Yeah. Oh, why do you think she wants that? Well, she probably can't separate the two. But you can. I guess so, sometimes. Do you want the emotional connection? Yeah. It's okay if you don't. I do. Good. It's not really okay if you don't. <laughs> so, if you want it, why are you willing to have sex without it? Well, the physical connection's easier to find. Uh, the light is better there. What? Uh, it's an old joke. A man is on all fours on the sidewalk. A cop sees him and says, what's wrong? The man says, I lost my watch on 4th Street. The cop says, but this is 5th Street. The man says, I know, but the light is better here. Hmm. You, my boy, maybe like the looking more than the finding. Uh, maybe, but starting with the physical connection doesn't mean that we can't have an emotional connection later. Is that how it works in your experience? Hmm. I guess not usually. Why not? Uh, Do you lose interest? Sometimes. Hmm. But doesn't that mean there is no potential anyway? I mean, if we like each other and we're compatible, why should it matter when the physical part starts? That's like saying I have all the ingredients for this casserole, so who cares how long to cook it? Timing. Yes, timing. Timing is important. So, let's say this girl is wiser than you and says no. Okay. You go home. How do you feel? Frustrated, maybe? Disappointed? You wanted something, and you didn't get it. Right. So you still want it? Yeah. You want her? Yes. You're thinking about her. Thinking about the next time you'll see her, wondering what might happen. Mm -hmm. Thinking about what you'll say to her next, and when, and something that might make her smile. Wondering, is she thinking about you? Yeah, 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 You're yeah. You're excited. 
that's a good thing. Eventually you get there, but when you have to work and wait for it, it's so much better. I hear you. We're not talking about suppression of desire. We're talking about how to build it. You want to water the garden, what do you do with the hose? I don't know. You point it where you, you want it You put your thumb on it. You create pressure. No, it's not an impediment to our pleasure. It's an essential ingredient. No is a very erotic word. Huh. So what does that say about marriage? Are you kidding? You think you don't get no in marriage? Yeah, but you can't still have that excitement that we were talking about. That's true. Married people give that up, right? Yeah, it's true. But there are other pleasures in connecting with someone. They're deeper than that romance excitement. But you were just telling me how great that was. It is great, but that excitement is about the hope of getting somewhere. Romance that goes nowhere, it's a cat with a string. You never miss it? Of course you miss it, but that's not an argument against marriage. We want lots of things, and some of those things are in conflict. That's not a problem. That's life. You give up some things to get others. Your generation seems to have this idea that you should be able to have everything. <laughs> I like having cake, and I like eating cake. <laughs> Tough luck. <laughs> everything is a trade-off. You make one thing too easy, you make something else more difficult. Hmm. You know, I once saw a Hasidic rabbi being interviewed on television. The lady asked him why Hasidic women needed to wear such long skirts. She said, why do you want women to cover their ankles? Ankles aren't sexy. The rabbi said, they are to me. Hmm, that's good. Okay, kid, I gotta go. All this talk is making me very hot and bothered. <laughs> Helen! <laughs> I'm feeling feisty! Bye, Uncle Marty. Gotta go! Another bride, another June, another sunny honeymoon, another season, another reason to make whoopee. As I say at the end of the book, I'm having sex for money with a particular woman. I call her Denise in the book for many years. Mm -hmm. And I would say I love her, but I don't want to get married. I don't want to move in with her. I don't want us to have children together. I don't expect to be in a relationship with her forever, but I do have very caring feelings for her. Mm -hmm. But it's not what other people seem to mean when they say they have romantic feelings. What do you think the differences are? I think a lot of the time when a guy says he loves a girlfriend or wife, he's feeling much more possessive emotions. He wants to feel that that person is his exclusive property, whereas I'm not at all bothered by the idea that Denise might have sex with other men, although at this point in time she isn't. That is strange that you have settled into a kind of monogamy yeah, this woman was working as a prostitute when I first began seeing her. And at a certain point, she stopped seeing her other clients. I mean, it's been many years at this point, right? Yeah, but we just don't talk about the future. And this is a relationship that takes place in the present. I'm curious why you each decided not to see anyone else. There was no plan. I just kept assuming at a certain point she would get out of the business or something and I would have to see someone else. And also thinking maybe I'll get tired of her. Mm -hmm. 
but that just didn't happen. Part of the reason why this has worked out so well is there is much more to the relationship than just sex. I love to talk with her, just finding out what she's been up to lately. It's a genuine friendship. And that's a factor in why she has continued to want to continue this relationship. It seems like for some reason she maybe wants to pretend she's not in an intimate romantic <laughs> relationship, but she really is. It sounds like. I mean, why else would she stop seeing other people? Like maybe she loves yeah, you and I she don't... just doesn't want to admit it for some reason. Perhaps. I mean, we're all complicated. <laughs> yeah. I really don't know. Well, here's what you should do. Just tell her you've fallen on financial hard times. <laughs> See what happens. I can't I pay know. That would be game playing. <laughs> no, I know. I'm, I'm joking. not into that. <laughs> you talk about the book that you had a difficulty meeting women, and it seems like prostitution for you was almost like maybe the way other people use online dating. It was just a way to get something going, but really you still want a loving relationship just like everybody else. And this is just your alternative way in to something that's more conventional. Well, probably. Obviously, if you can have sex with someone and you can have some sort of loving relationship too, that does just add to the experience. And it adds to the sexual component itself. Yeah, sex is better if you feel genuine affection for the person. You let your friend Seth write a little bit in the afterword of your book. And there he calls you a robot and an oddball. <laughs> he said that he's talking about romantic love as like a blind man painting a sunset. Yeah, it's a little bit the pot calling the kettle black. <laughs> but no, I would admit that I'm an unusual person who sees things in an unusual way. I don't really apologize for it. Sure. But I wonder, does the fact that you feel different from people maybe mean that your conclusions are more personal and not for society as a whole? Well, I don't know about that. It seems to me the majority of the marriages and the romantic relationships I'm aware of don't bring the people in them happiness. I think people should start to recognize that they'd be better off if they could reorient themselves towards rejecting romantic love or at least possessive monogamy that for the most part it brings them misery and unhappiness. I think I'm unusual only in that I've recognized that those sorts of relationships bring me unhappiness and wanting something different. Infidelity is not the problem. Expecting monogamy is the problem. Ah. It's one to grow on. Don't date Susie, everybody. <laughs> she will straight. No, but it makes so much sense. You only have to look at the statistics. There's so many broken hearts all over the world every day. So you don't believe in monogamy? No, especially not for men. The male of every species is designed to impregnate as many of the females as possible. Right. So how can you impose right. monogamy on that kind of biology? Well, I mean, we can rein ourselves in. I think we all walk around with this caveman thing because we're restraining our impulse, which is just to shove someone down and... Plant your seeds. That's plant hot. Your seeds. Plant your seeds. <laughs> you know? When women say we're all pigs, I'm like, do you realize what we're holding in? Yeah, do you realize we're, we're on our best behavior? <laughs> yeah, I'm saying not every wired in impulse is something we have to, oh, well, that's the way we're wired, so I'm going to go out and just attack that's marriage. women. That's That's relationship. But it's so unnatural. The whole society's built upon creating the family unit and monogamy, and it's all unnatural. It's, it's so unnatural. unnatural. Not to stray. It's unnatural. It's unnatural not to punch someone when yeah, they make unnatural. you angry, but we're... Our society is predicated on restraint and on yeah. repression. And Which is, it's not all bad. behavior. Yeah. So monogamy is civil. Right. That's what human beings do. We try and keep ourselves in check. 
it's this awful setup. We're wired to stray and not be monogamous, but we're also wired to be possessive and jealous. Mm-hmm. Well, thanks for giving yeah, us both screwed. of those things, God. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. yeah, these are the terms. But what keeps you from acting on your feelings? Convention. No, it's our marriage. Exactly. Social restraints. Did you ever stop to think that those restraints are there to keep people from hurting each other? I don't sleep with other men because I love you and I don't want to hurt you. But what if it didn't hurt me? Then I'd be hurt. You're just afraid that I won't love you anymore, which is impossible, Mac. The human animal is capable of all kinds of sexual expression. Not all sex has to be sanctioned by love, enriched by emotion to the Greeks. Stop lecturing, Prague. Stop using science to justify what you've done. Mac, you're my girl. You always will be. The bond we have, the life we share, sex is nothing compared to that. I can't talk about this anymore. I think trying to have an open relationship is as difficult as trying to be monogamous. Hmm. I used to think that open relationships were a brilliant idea, but it can get messy and it can also get sort of clinical. How do you mean that? Emotionally. Uh. Even though it's really a breeding strategy, even people who don't have children gravitate to monogamy as a kind of structure around which you build other things. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are plenty of people who have an affair here or there, but it's lasted a while. So having this formal monogamy is working for them. If you're with a guy 40 years and he only cheats on you three or four times, he was good at monogamy. We think of monogamy the way we think of virginity. It exists until you fuck somebody and then it's gone forever. We have to think of monogamy the way we think of sobriety. (laughs) You can fall off the wagon and sober back up. That was Dan Savage. And so is this. You know, 60 years ago, we decided that men had to be monogamous too. For all of recorded human history, men had concubines and whores. And 60 years ago, straight relationships began to become less of a property transaction. And it became a union of two equals. And at that moment... Instead of deciding to allow women to have the same leeway that men did, we decided to let men have the same limitations that women had. And we put monogamous sexual commitment at the heart of all relationships. And we should now be able to recognize the consequences of that, which are a lot of short-term relationships, a lot of divorce. It places a tremendous strain on our long-term commitments to expect them to be effortlessly monogamous. Because what we've said is, if you're in love, you won't want to have sex with anybody else. And so they meet somebody else that they're attracted to, and they're attracted to this other person, and they go, well, I must not be in love with my partner anymore. Or they feel threatened when their partners are attracted to other people. And a lot of really good, loving relationships are destroyed. There needs to be some leeway. We need to tell people that if you're in love, you can make a monogamous commitment, and you will refrain from having sex with other people. But you will still desperately want to fuck other people. Sometimes wonder if there's any point to shaving my legs. And I'm pretty certain James would notice either way. What am I shaving my legs for? Married legs. Kind of depressing. But sometimes I think after ten years, who's gonna take a really active interest in whether I shave my legs or not? And at least after all this time, I like James. Is it worth trading all that in for something exciting with someone I may not like in ten years? Sometimes I just want something new, you know? New things are shiny. New things get old. Yeah, that's right. New things get old. Just like the old things. Mm-hmm. 
even in my own sex life, I find it helps to contextualize with some sort of fantasy. I can't even accept myself just having sex. That's because, interesting. Because the first time you have sex, you don't need to contextualize it. You're like, oh my God, I'm having sex with a girl for the first time. That's right. the story. Yeah. But as it goes on, that story is, I'm having sex again with this girl. So I start to fantasize. Oh. But now I'm trying to just really be in the moment because I don't want it to be some weird thing I need to do. The equivalent of choking myself. Yeah. You just want to make love and, yeah. and that be enough. Because when I'm fantasizing about her being a naughty volleyball player, that's not exactly the Venn diagram of love and sex overlapping. That's right. pretty much sex. <laughs> yeah. But this is the cliche about married couples is that they stop having sex or it becomes less and less frequent. I do a bit. I can see it, I guess. You know, after a while, you've unwrapped that present before. You know, rewrap it and be excited every Christmas with the same kind of thing. It's a cool again. The same episode, you know, it's pretty. Yes. I'm really happy that when I was done. But do we always just have to be excited like in the beginning? We require a constant state of agitation? Well, I think as you get to know her and you hopefully fall in love, excitement starts to go back up. Are you guessing? That's what's happening now. The sex seems to be getting, I don't know, we got really drunk, so maybe that's just what it was. (laughs) And you were wearing a doctor's outfit, she was wearing a nurse's uniform. I I think in theory that's what happens. After you get what you want, you don't want it. If I gave you the moon, you'd grow tired of it soon. You're like a baby. You want what you want when you want it. Years ago, before the show began, Ryan Ridley and I had a conversation that also touched on sex. I know, what are the odds? Now, the sound quality is not great, but there's one part I had to include. You're always wishing and wanting for something. When I was in Israel, I saw some hot Orthodox women wearing shadles. Yeah. They didn't need to wear a face shadle. They were hot. A shadle is just a wig that looks like your regular hair over your hair. Right. This would be like a mask that looks like your face. Well, shadle's such a ridiculous practice. Yeah, you wear a wig to cover yeah. your real hair. You look like you have hair. People yeah. still lust after it you. It still looks creepy. But they're though. lusting after the yeah. wrong hair. But it does look them. like that's what I'm saying. A face shadle would be like an android face mask over someone looks exactly like their right. real face. You know? Well, why would it have to look like the same face? That's true. It can look like it's like slightly. So all these Orthodox Jews look like Marilyn Monroe. Yeah. <laughs> the and same. Like suddenly Judaism prospers and there's yeah. Jews are yeah. converting. I'm going to fuck Marilyn Monroe. However you like, you yeah. can get that face shadow. And then the wife would be at home and she's like, ah, oh, I can't wait to take my face shadow off. We're like, yeah, you know, that's right now. You can leave the face shadow on. It's like you don't like the real me. The real you is your neshama. When you put on the face shadow, I can think more about your heart and soul. Okay, I guess that makes sense. Here's some boob shadows while you're at it. No, I mean, I was thinking about this in the future. If they could create real dolls, right. they could make them fully animated. Right, like robots. Basically. Would you have sex with them? No, absolutely not. If you could not tell the difference between that and a real person, yeah. you're oh. lying. No, 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 I'm not lying because I think about sometimes the idea of getting a prostitute, but it just feels so fake. There's nothing there, no game, no challenge. Why, then why not just say, I'll never masturbate? What? 
Well, that's the same thing. There's no challenge to masturbating. Yeah, but masturbation is just, you know, it's I'm going to buy my hand a bracelet. <laughs> no. Maybe I mean... it will let me have some fun with it tonight. I'm going to do the game in my hand, insulting my index finger to make my middle finger more into me. <laughs> but the point is, masturbate, it's not the same thing. Masturbation yeah, is like a quick fix. Just body maintenance. It's like burping or taking a poop. You know, like you have a feeling and you need to relieve it somehow. It's not pleasurable for you at all. It's just like brushing <laughs> your teeth. No, it is pleasurable. Of course. And you'll masturbate behind your ears. <laughs> your mom just like goes one of your chores. God, that's... Ryan, the... you forgot to masturbate yesterday, <laughs> didn't you? I'm sorry, mom. I'll masturbate now. Well, you see that you do. Oh, the punishment. It's not like all this. Here's what it is. Sex is different than masturbation. They both result in orgasm. Right. But they're different. But if you're going to do some kind of simulation thing, the robot is just a more realistic version of porn. All right. Would you have sex with the real doll then? No, because it's like a corpse. Okay. But if they'll get to the point where they can make these robots that are very You know, it'll happen life-like. when we're old men and we can't get these hot young women anymore. Perfect timing. Oh, yes! Yeah! The old age ones are going to look different. Yeah! Stripper poles. <laughs> The old age homes aren't going to get the newest top of the line. <laughs> oh, we're going to get the old yeah. used models. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, They'll still look pretty hot. Gross. The set of stretch marks will tears in their synthetic yeah. flesh. Society will change radically, I think. With all that sex? Everybody will be taken care of sexually. And so that's all off the table, all that bullshit that goes along with it. All the primping and preening, we won't have to do that anymore, and we can just become more substantial people. Do you think the primping and preening is only to attract mates? I think that's most of it. You don't think it's about like looking good? Looking good for what? Just I don't know. You know, lately I've been more and more conscious of trying to look better. And yeah, because I, you're it a single me, guy who hasn't gotten laid in a long time. It hasn't been that long. It's only been eight months. Eight months. You know what? I mean, I want to have sex right now, but right now, yeah. <laughs> we'll be right back. <laughs> Lust. As a thousand avenues, the dance hall, the ice cream parlor, the tenement saloon, the Turkish bath. Like the Hydra, it grows new heads everywhere. Even the modern inventions of science are used to cultivate immorality. The gas engine has brought us the automobile joyride, the roadside brothel, Electricity has made possible the degrading picture show. And let's not forget the most scandalous invention of all, the Talon Slide Fastener, otherwise known as the Zipper, which provides every man and boy speedy access to moral oblivion. Society seems to be moving in a more and more sexually liberated direction. I could see it making us better because... There's the bonobo monkeys. They're very promiscuous and they're much less aggressive. And people say sex makes you dumb, but I feel like it's the lack of sex that makes men dumb and that after they get sex, they can start to focus on other things. So I could see if we were in a very promiscuous society, we could advance. But I also think having sex be a little difficult to get forces men to civilize themselves and to learn how to attract a woman and they have to get smarter and get in shape and... You know, you've heard like rock stars and other people talking about making something of themselves just because they want to get laid. So I feel like if sex becomes super easy to get for everyone, that might be undermined. 
I don't know if society is getting more sexually liberated. I don't necessarily buy into the idea of perpetual progress. Mm -hmm. There seem to be people who are very rigid and conservative and uptight about sex. But I think the trends are that they're an increasing minority and that people are having more and more sex partners and sex at a younger age and getting married less and less. Now, wait a minute. If we're going to look at the history of a culture, it was not unusual in the 1800s for working class kids to have sex at the age of 10. It's unusual now. Sure. So, sure, maybe over a period of 20 years. Or I think maybe 70 years, you know, from the time when they couldn't say pregnant on TV <laughs> to what anyone can see on TV now. Or I grew up, porn was something I had to hunt out and it was hard to get. And now any kid can see as much porn as he wants. Right. And there's the sexting thing. And, the, you know, I mean, I feel like kids are more sexually open and aware than just a generation ago. I just think we have to be careful about the assumptions we make because so much of sexual behavior is hidden and lied about. I don't know about you, but when I was very little, I played all the little sex games, mm -hmm. the innocent, silly stuff that kids do when they're getting to know about the body. And it seems like now a lot of that is pathologized and viewed as bad and kids shouldn't do it. So I feel like we've gone the other way. I remember, you know, when thoughtful parents were concerned about not wanting their kids to get a sexual hang-up. Now, the parents seem to be more protective. For example, all this freaking hysteria about sexting, this is just kids doing what they did before cell phones. But there used to be a limit. Now, if it goes online, it's there forever. Look, kids didn't even take pictures. They just flashed each other. Right. That's really low tech. I mean... <laughs> There always was this problem. <laughs> and for every sexting incident that ends up in heartbreak and exposure, there must be plenty of people who receive naked pictures and even at the age of 12 have the civility not to go around showing those to everybody. Mm. Surely that's also happening. Yeah. Okay, I just wanted to be told that. <laughs> no, and I think you're right that it's not a given that we're going in this one direction. But I still want to do the hypothetical. If okay. we are going this direction, let's say yeah. sex becomes very easily obtainable for any man. I just wonder, would that take away that incentive for men to achieve things so they could woo women? Could bypassing that process right. lead to men just becoming a bunch of big dumb slobs? I bet people have been talking about this since the first caveman <laughs> <laughs> got away with something. I mean, I started hearing that when I was 19. Mm -hmm. Middle-aged guys would tell me, Oh, in my day, if a guy wanted to have sex, he had to work for it. And now, they don't even have to take a girl out to dinner. They don't. Da, 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 da. The world's going to hell in a handbasket. The men aren't men anymore. <laughs> and the girls aren't being good enough gatekeepers. That conversation has been going on for quite a while. And yet, we still have marriage. Guys are still buying presents for us. Mm -hmm. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> And yeah, there are these flabby personalities, guys who don't seem to quite have it together. But I think those guys always did exist. So you're asking, will this happen? I think it may already have happened and the world has survived it. Right, but it might be a matter of degrees. It's not going to be black and white, obviously. But does free and easy sex lead to more of that? Or is it good for society? I can think of both arguments. I guess everything needs to be kept in balance. But if you're in a society that is progressing... You're moving in the direction where sex becomes something that women also experience. And it's not just something we're holding on to or dispensing. Of course, them. of course. 
I just think that women tend to be less casual about who they have sex with. It's not that they don't enjoy sex when they have it, but just that women tend to get emotionally caught up more often than men. Yeah, look, men will have sex in public bathrooms. They will. I don't even want to think about it. (laughs) Men are less squeamish. It's true. I asked someone the other day, could you have sex with someone who's stark raving mad? And he said, well, sure I could, but I'm a guy. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And a woman wouldn't do that. His follow-up would be, what does she look like? Yeah, no, men are more casual about it. Sure, okay. And that's what makes women the gatekeepers. It's not that sex isn't a valued thing for them as well. No, I get what you're saying. And you're right. The difference between the sexes, it means that men have to step up and, for example, make sure there is a nice environment in which to do it. Even if these things start to sound too much like stereotypes, I think there's a difference between religious morality that says you're a sinner or you're dirty right. and the gatekeeper thing that you're talking about, which just makes the world more civilized. So you think it's a positive thing? I think it's probably a positive thing, yes. yes. But then doesn't promiscuity on one hand or prostitution on the other, doesn't that undermine that gatekeeping? The guy will say, ah, screw this, I'm not jumping through your hoops, I'm just going to go to the back pages or the brothel or whatever. Well, one good thing about prostitution is that when you have to pay for it, It does put a limit around how much sex you can have. But food is in a market, and you have to pay for it, and we have an obesity epidemic in this country. Look, I have sold sex. I've had boyfriends, domestic partners. I've had casual sex. And I'm glad I've had this range of experiences, including the sex that goes with intimacy, being in love. As much as I think that prostitution can be a lovely way for human beings to connect and a great way to learn about your fellow humans, when I think about a guy whose sexual experience is limited, where the best sex he's ever had has been with a sex worker, Mm -hmm. I worry about those guys. But they do exist. They always have. So it's great that sex workers exist so that these guys can have some kind of... Yeah, but sure, it's not a replacement for other kinds of intimacy. I mean, maybe I'm making a judgment. Sure you are. (laughs) But I mean, it's not a moral judgment. Not a moral judgment, but you're just saying that's less than ideal. And you said you're a romantic person, so I guess you have to think that loving, intimate, connected sex is the best kind of sex? Probably. It's not the only kind of sex, though. And you might not always want to have the best kind of sex. You might not always want to have the same kind of sex. You don't think one kind will undermine the other? No. You will always have these fascistic personalities who want society to agree that we'll only ever have (laughs) one kind of sex. But that's not going to happen. When I some glad morning And now, ladies and gentlemen, it's time for Plane Crash Follies with a new cast of characters each and every episode. We take you now, as always, to the interior of a commercial airliner. What book are you getting? Oh, is it the new Dan Brown book? Oh, is that with Tom? Tom Hanks. That's good. Yeah. Oh! Uh, buckle up, right? <laughs> yeah. Have you ever been on a turbulent plane before? Oh, uh, no, this is the first for me. So. Oh, me too. Hi, my name's Carl. Oh, Carl, Carl, nice to meet you. I'm Margaret. <laughs> just, just Carl, not Carl, Carl. Oh. <laughs> That's a joke. <laughs> You're funny. Thank you. Oh, gosh. Oh, oh wow. Oh, it's okay. Oh. It's okay. Did you ever see that Twilight Zone oh. movie with John Lithgow? From uh, Monty Python. Yeah, yeah no, I, I don't know. It's, there's something on the plane. Yes, yeah, the snakes. No, I don't. Oh. Oh my god! Oh my god! We're gonna okay. die! Oh, yeah. oh my god! Oh, oh okay. quick! 
Make love to me. What? Make love to me. No, but I'm married. I'm married too. It, it doesn't matter. No, but people are going to see us. Who cares? Well, I don't even know you. We're all we've got. These are our last moments. Okay. Okay. Oh, gosh. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, oh. Wait, 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 wait. What? Do you have protection? What? school this girl said I love you to me and I said I love you too and then I felt immediately bad because I was just saying it automatically and I didn't feel it mm-hmm. and I sort of resolved I'm not going to say it unless I really feel it and then I didn't say it for a long time to anybody yeah and then finally it, it was actually with she said I had a dream you told me you loved me and we had been dating a few months and I was like I like her I kind of would like to, I guess I could say it yeah okay <laughs> it was but, like an arranged marriage kind of love yeah I'll, okay I'll say it, yeah. no but what happened was as I said it I felt it more and I realized all this time I thought I was being honest I was being cowardly and holding back mm-hmm. saying it as a way of doing it when you express it it's coming out and then it grows and I got turned on and when I was like when you said that you loved her yeah and I was like oh they're connected I feel a little embarrassed at having done a show about sex that's so unsexy. I haven't talked about bodies, about the current that runs from one skin to another, the feel of my lips on her neck behind her ear, about damp hair falling on my face, skin that smells like soap, about hands and hips and breath, kisses that flutter in your solar plexus, fingertips and tongues reading the braille of a body, about the weight of another person the architecture of softness and bones, the aching, the rapture, the sweet awkwardness. What can I say? It's not that kind of show. It's all been about not sex, but what does sex mean? I don't know about that part either. I know I like the idea of being a romantic. Cliff, your feet are freezing. That's why I put them over there. Why don't you put them back on your side of the bed until they warm up? Now they're cold and lonely. (laughs) (laughs) Honey, what do you think we'll be like after 49 years of marriage? I don't know, but I hope we'll be as smooth as my mother and father. What do you think their secret is? Probably just living one day at a time. You know, the 22 years I've been married to you, I've been the happiest one day at a time I've ever had in my life. Cliff, I love the way you beg. Bring your cold feet over here. The cynical side of me says, romance is just a pretty way to ask for sex. Romance is creating the illusion that we're not animals, so we can go somewhere and act like animals. Sonia. Oh, don't, Boris. Sex without love is an empty experience. Yes, but as empty experiences go, it's one of the best. I've always liked that line. In the nihilism episode, Ivan Brunetti said, 
I've always thought nihilism was a flip side of hedonism. If you really look at the root of what's underneath those, it's sort of this everything's meaningless and what's the difference anyway kind of thinking. It's dangerous territory. If hedonism is the flip side of nihilism, then romance stands against them both. Most people say they want passion in their lives, but can we have it without resistance? In every great romance, one lover is on the ground and one is on the balcony, either literally or figuratively. They're kept apart, and their passion feeds on that. It's natural that we strive to overcome what's between us and the things we want. But we need the obstacles as much as the prizes. It's supposed to be hard. If it wasn't hard, everyone would do it. The hard is what makes it great. If you gorge yourself, you get full. If you get full, your feelings about food change. And with sex, the object of your desire is not consumed. It remains. And in that scenario, the pickup artist becomes an escape artist. You just get to a certain point where you get tired of the whole life of a single guy. You meet someone, go back to her place, you have sex, and the minute you're finished, you know what goes through your mind? How long do I have to lie here and hold her before I can get up and go home? Is 30 seconds enough? That's what you're thinking. Sure. All men think that. How long do you like to be held afterwards? All night, right? See, that's the problem. Somewhere between 30 seconds and all night is your problem. I don't have a problem. Yeah, you do. If sex for you is mostly about yes, validation, then you will quickly tire of each new partner. If sex is about yes, then sex is the finish line. But if sex is about something else, then it can be the starting block, or just a moment on the way. I'm not here to tell anyone what kind of sex is best for them, but Ernest Hemingway, I think, has a good formula for figuring it out. About morals, I know only that what is moral is what you feel good after, and what is immoral is what you feel bad after. Here's a story about the latter thing. A long time ago, I knew a girl named Angie, and we fooled around from time to time. Many guys feel like it's a real coup if we can get a girl to give sex without commitment. That's what I had with Angie. One time, as she was leaving my place, she said, why do you fool around with me? It caught me completely off guard. I said, I don't know, you turned me on. Why do you fool around with me? She said, because I like you. She's gone now. When I think about her, I feel love. But that's easier than loving someone who's right next to you, giving it back. And what does that say for balcony love? Joyce Carol Oates once said, when love gets requited, that's when the trouble begins. May we all get in lots of trouble. Birds do it, bees do it, even educated fleas do it. Let's do it, let's fall in love. That's the show. You can follow me on Twitter, at Danny Koff, or write me at mailbox at myaclonicjerk.com. Thanks to our guests, Trista Brown, Tracy Kwan, and Ryan Ridley.
You can find out more about them at myaclonicjerk.com. While you're there, get on the mailing list so I can let you know when the next show happens. If you ever use Amazon, please bookmark the link from our site to get there. They'll give the show a kickback. It adds up. Thanks to everyone who helps out that way, or shares a link, or writes a review, or anything else you do to help spread the word. Big thanks to production assistants Mark Hutchison and Brian Lotz. My brother Michael, who really did make that once-a-baby joke. Eileen Shee performed the morning after story. And Lee Rosevere composed the score for it. The Plane Crash Lovers were played by Mike McCafferty and Rachel Adams. And right this moment, you're listening to Maggie Mull. Let's fall in love. Thanks for listening, everybody. Next episode, Evil. Well, I think I've got what I need from you. Okay, Daniel. <laughs> I'll leave the money on the dresser. <laughs> 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 <laughs>